Today we have another episode in our series, By the Numbers. So far we've looked at the numbers 1, 3, 4, 7, 10, and 12. And today we want to do a deep dive into the number 40. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Before we explore what the Bible says about the number 40, we observe that this number shows up in some interesting ways in our lives. Did you know that minus 40 degrees, or 40 below, is the only temperature that is the same in both Fahrenheit and Celsius? By the way, as a kid growing up in northern Wisconsin, I experienced 40 below more than once. Also, did you know that during the bubonic plague that hammered Europe in the 1300s, ships that were arriving to the continent had to isolate or quarantine in the harbor for 40 days before passengers could go ashore? The word quarantine actually comes from the Italian quaranta giorni, which means 40 days. And sorry if my Italian isn't that good. Or how, how about this one? How long does a pregnancy last for a woman, typically? Well, we usually talk about a nine-month pregnancy, but it's more accurate to say 40 weeks. And here's two fun trivia questions that involve the number 40. Did you know that in the board game Monopoly, there are 40 spaces on the board? Probably no significance. Or do you know what WD-40 stands for? You know, the household spray that has many uses? WD is short for water displacement. And the 40? Well, it was the 40th formula developed by the company that apparently was a winner. All right, enough of this trivia. Let's go to what the Bible has to say about the number 40. For us as human beings, the number 40 might not be all that significant, unless, of course, you just celebrated your 40th birthday. But for our God, the number 40 is very important and significant. The number 40 occurs more than 100 times in the Bible, making it a significant Bible thread. One way to remember the significance and symbolism of the number 40 is to think of the letter T. We learn that the number 40 often represents a period of testing. Sometimes the testing involves trials. Sometimes the testing results in tragedy, and other times in triumph. Even the word itself suggests the letter T, 40. The number 40 is also connected to the fulfillment of God's promises, as we'll see. Let's take a look at this important Bible number. The first place the number 40 shows up in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 7. It is the account of Noah and the worldwide flood. Noah was instructed by God to construct an ark that would provide safety to Noah's family and to wild animals, livestock, and birds. 
a male and a female of each kind. One day after the ark was built, God came to Noah and said, In seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Once Noah got all the animals and his family in the ark, we learned that it rained for forty days and forty nights until the entire earth was covered in water. All living creatures, humankind and animals, perished in the flood except for those in the ark. What a tragedy. But we mustn't forget that God didn't just send the flood on a whim. 120 years earlier, God told Noah to warn all of the people about God's intended plan to wipe mankind off the face of the earth. And the reason? The world had become an exceedingly evil place. Genesis tells us, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Think of that. Every inclination all the time was evil. The flood was the result of God's promised judgment on a wicked culture. Noah, however, was the exception. You know, I can't imagine the kind of evil that would have been in Noah's world, so evil that God would destroy the earth. I look around our world and I think there's plenty of evil today. Persecution of people because of their religion, Christians included. Genocide of entire ethnic groups like the Uyghurs in China. Mass shootings, indiscriminate murders. They're all so prevalent today. But it seems nothing compared to the evil in Noah's day. I just can't imagine it. Now, the second, third, fourth, and fifth occurrences of the number 40 occur during the life of Moses. After the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, they traveled to Mount Sinai. There the Lord gave to Moses the Ten Commandments and all of the other moral, civil, and ceremonial laws that the Lord wanted the Israelites to live by as his chosen people. But before we get to our second number 40 in the Bible, I want to focus a bit on the sequence of events at Mount Sinai between the Lord, Moses, and the people. When I was just a lad in Sunday school many years ago, I thought that Moses went up the mountain twice, once to get the Ten Commandments on the two stone tablets, and the second time to get a duplicate set because he had smashed the first ones after seeing the people worshiping a golden calf. Moses actually made a few more trips up and down the mountain, and I think the sequence of events is worth talking about. By my count, Moses went up the mountain and then back down seven times. The first time is recorded in Exodus chapter 19. Moses goes up on the mountain and the Lord tells Moses that he is offering a covenant to the people of Israel if they will obey the Lord. The Lord wanted them to be his own treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as God said. Moses reported this to the elders and the people who responded by saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. The second trip up the mountain was to relay to the Lord the people's response. 
Then the Lord told Moses that in three days the Lord would descend on the mountain in a thick cloud to speak to Moses, so that the people would know that Moses was the Lord's chosen leader. Moses then went down the mountain, consecrated the people, told them to wash their clothes and get ready for what was about to happen on the third day. When that day arrived, there was thunder and lightning, the sound of a trumpet which crescendoed in volume as the hours went on, and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke and the mountain trembled violently. Moses' third trip up the mountain was in response to the Lord calling him to the top of the mountain, and he was to bring Aaron along. There the Lord told Moses that the people were to stay off the mountain as long as the Lord was present. Then after Moses descended the mountain this time, the Lord delivered the Ten Commandments audibly to all of the people. And the people were so gripped with fear at hearing the voice of God that they asked Moses not to let the Lord speak directly to them. The Lord then directed Moses to tell the people, Don't make any gods to be alongside of me. Don't make for yourselves gods of silver or gold. Instead, make an altar of earth for me and make sacrifices on it. Pretty clear instructions, don't you think? On the fourth trip, Moses approached the thick darkness where the Lord was. At that time, the Lord gave Moses various detailed laws, and they're recorded in chapters 21 to 23 of Exodus. And along with the laws, the Lord promised to give the land of Canaan to the Israelites. In chapter 24, we hear that the Lord summoned Moses to climb up the mountain a fifth time, and he was to bring along Aaron, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. So the next morning, Moses built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, as the Lord had instructed him. And there he offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses repeated the words of the covenant, and the people responded again, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Note that this is the second time the people pledged obedience. After this, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the seventy elders went up the mountain, where they encountered the God of Israel in an incredible way. Then the Lord commanded Moses to continue up farther Mount Sinai to receive the stone tablets that God had prepared. He took Joshua along with him for a little ways and sent the others back down the mountain. Joshua waited while Moses ascended to the very top of the mountain. For six days a cloud covered the top, and on the seventh day the Lord called Moses to enter the cloud. There Moses stayed for forty days and forty nights, a time of testing for Moses, and even more so for God's people. During these forty days, the Lord gave Moses more of his law, the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets, and instructions on how to build the tabernacle and its furnishings. After the forty days, Moses returned with Joshua to the foot of the mountain, only to find the Israelites worshiping a golden calf idol, which Aaron had made. In his anger at what he saw, Moses smashed the stone tablets, so much for their promise to obey the Lord. 
The Israelites failed the test to obey the Lord, and it resulted in tragedy. Moses destroyed the calf and disciplined the people. The Lord also disciplined his people by sending a plague throughout the camp. What the Israelites did during the 40 days Moses was on the mountaintop resulted in tragedy. Moses returned up the mountain a sixth time to intercede on behalf of the Israelites and their grievous sin of idolatry. Moses even offered his own life in exchange for the life of the Israelite people. Does that remind you of anybody else? The seventh and final trip up the mountain was made by Moses alone. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. For Moses, the forty days of fasting was a time of testing and hardship, as Moses became more spiritually aware of the God who called him to lead his people. It was also at this time that the Lord spoke words of love and mercy. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and sin. There on the mountain, the Lord also gave Moses a passing glimpse of himself. As Moses was tucked into the opening in the mountain, the glory of the Lord passed by and caused Moses' face to glow, which was witnessed by the people when he went down the mountain for the last time. For Moses, the forty days on the mountain resulted in triumph. There are two other people mentioned in the Bible who also fasted for forty days out in the desert. More on that in a bit. From Mount Sinai, the Israelites traveled north to a place called Hazaroth. It was located south of the land of Canaan, the land the Lord had promised to the nation of Israel. From there, Moses sent twelve men, one from each tribe, to check out the land and the people. Their expedition lasted forty days. When they returned, only Caleb and Joshua were in favor of going in and taking the land that the Lord had promised. The other ten gave a bad negative report. And that night there was a rebellion against Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. Now because the people did not trust the Lord's promises, the Lord said this, Your children will be shepherds here for forty years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lie in the desert. For forty years, one year, for each of the forty days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. The negative report from the ten explorers resulted in tragedy for the generation of men who rejected the Lord's promise to give them the land of Canaan. They would all die during the next 40 years. Not a one other than Caleb and Joshua would enter the promised land. Hundreds of years later, when Samuel was a prophet in Israel, the people clamored for a king. Instead of a theocracy, which is government by divine guidance, the people wanted a monarchy, a king, like every other nation. They rejected the Lord's governing through his prophets and his priests. 
Now Samuel warned the people that they would in the future regret their desire for a king because the kings would take more and more from the people. That's what kings do. Well, the Lord granted them a king. The first king was Saul, then David, then Solomon. Each of these three kings ruled for 40 years. 40 years was considered a generation. But what's interesting about each of their reigns is that the first 20 years of each king's reign was marked by prosperity. The second 20 years descended into ruin for each of them. During the reign of Saul, the Israelites battled their perennial enemy, the Philistines. The armies gathered in the valley of Elah with one army on each side of the valley. The Philistines had a massively huge warrior named Goliath. The Bible tells us that for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Twice a day, for 40 days, Goliath approached the Israelite army, calling out for someone to fight him. Each day, Goliath taunted the Israelite soldiers for being chicken. After 40 days of this twice-daily taunting, David happened to bring food supplies to his brothers who were in the army. It's one of the most familiar accounts in the, in the Old Testament. David, trusting in the promises of God, confronted Goliath and triumphed over him. This period of testing for King Saul came to an end with Israel winning the victory. I mentioned earlier that in addition to Moses, there were two others who also fasted for 40 days in the desert. Another one in the Old Testament was Elijah. And guess where he was headed to when he fasted for those 40 days? Mount Horeb, which was also known as, wait for it, Mount Sinai. Elijah had just finished crushing the prophets of Baal and now was fleeing for his life because the nation's rulers, Ahab and Jezebel, wanted him dead. So he went up out of into the desert, found a broom tree, and sat under it and asked the Lord to end his life. Then guess who showed up? The angel of the Lord, who told Elijah to eat, and after Elijah took a nap, to eat some more. Then we learn that Elijah, strengthened by the food, traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Next we hear that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the cave and asked him what he was doing there. Elijah thought he was a failure and had no future. He had been zealous for the Lord, but with no apparent results. The Lord told Elijah to get out of the cave and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord was about to pass by. Sound familiar? It's what the Lord also did for Moses on Mount Sinai. As the Lord had strengthened Elijah physically 40 days earlier, now he strengthened him spiritually. The Lord showed Elijah three displays of natural power, a powerful wind, an earthquake, and fire. But the Lord wasn't in any of the three. He then came to Elijah in a gentle whisper and commissioned Elijah to do three more tasks for the Lord. His work was not a failure, and his work for the Lord was not yet finished. Elijah's 40 days did not end with tragedy, but with triumph. 
The third person to spend 40 days in the desert fasting is probably the most familiar to those who know the Bible. It was Jesus. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, an event at which God the Father declared that he was well pleased with his Son and the Holy Spirit who had descended out of heaven in the form of a dove, after this Jesus went out into the desert. For 40 days and 40 nights Jesus fasted. At the end of those 40 days, Satan showed up to tempt Jesus with three separate temptations. First one was turning stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. Second one was jumping off the temple so that the angels could come and rescue him. And the third one, Satan offered Jesus the world, if only Jesus would bow down and worship him. Jesus resisted all three temptations. For Jesus, his 40-day test resulted in triumph. Until I prepared for this podcast episode, I never made the connection between the three people in the Bible who fasted for 40 days in the desert and the fact that they were the same ones present at Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Interesting, don't you think? Another 40 from the New Testament is the number of days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. During those 40 days, Jesus appeared to many people to confirm beyond the shadow of a doubt his resurrection, as well as preparing his disciples for when he would no longer be with them. Now, there are more examples of the number 40 in the Bible that I'll just mention without going into much detail. Through the prophet Jonah, God gave the city of Nineveh 40 days to repent of their wickedness or their city would be destroyed. Thankfully, they repented and the city was spared from God's judgment. Another one. God told the prophet Ezekiel to lay down on his right side for 40 days to bear the sins of the nation of Judah. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It was one day for every year that the kingdom of Judah dishonored the name of the Lord with their rebellion and wickedness. By the way, God had told Ezekiel also to lay on his left side for 390 days to bear the sins of the northern ten tribes of Israel. And here's one more. For people in Israel who had committed a crime, the maximum number of lashes that could be inflicted was 40. In practice, however, the Jewish leaders limited it to 39. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 mentions that Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's something I can't imagine either. I ran across a phrase that I want to share with you today. I don't know who said it originally, so I can't give proper credit. Google let me down. The phrase is, faith that is not tested is vulnerable. As we examined the number 40, we saw that to be true in the life of Moses and Elijah and Jesus, along with others. And it's true in our lives, too. God allows periods of testing and trials to come our way to draw us closer to him. 40. It's one of our Bible threads that extends throughout the Bible and into our lives. In our next episode... 
we'll explore the multiples of numbers that we've already considered. Until then, if you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to learn more about this topic of tests and trials, I have some resources to recommend to you. Just go to our website, timeofgrace.org, and type in the search box the phrase, tests and trials. You'll find a half a dozen or so resources that will give you more insight into how our loving God uses tests and trials to keep our faith from becoming vulnerable. Thanks for listening, and God bless.